Well, I hope that some of you uh, recognise the reference to Bluey, um, a, uh, a superb Australian uh, cartoon series that uh, really has some, uh, some great values in the uh, relations that the, uh, the dogs that make up the storyline uh, tell. So anyway, if you don't know it, it's a treat. Uh, but as we look at this passage from Ephesians, it is a, a difficult passage. Uh, it's not comprehensive instruction on how Christian parents should bring up their children. Uh, and neither does it do what we might like Paul to do, which is to condemn the whole institution of slavery. Uh, why are fathers picked uh, as the source of the children's exasperation? We really don't know. I mean, I've read a number of commentaries and it does sort of say, well, you know, we sort of know that mothers can very, very occasionally uh, be exasperating as well and it may be worthwhile uh, considering that, but we just don't know what it is that focused Paul's attention on parents, but uh, on fathers. But I'm going to suggest some things later on in the sermon uh, that uh, may well exasperate children, whether done by uh, a father or a mother. Um, but I am going to focus uh, upon um, both parents and grandparents uh, and the help that they can give uh, to help children learn and follow in the ways of the Lord uh, and not focus upon the peculiarities of uh, fathers uh, other than to note that dad jokes are a particular gift of God. Um, I'm also not going to speak about slavery today um, in, in, uh, except for some introductory comments. Um, and the reason for that is very serious. Um, I'm going to talk separately about slavery next year. I think in the context of Australia, it's such a big subject that I don't want to sort of deal with it uh, in, in only half a sermon. Um, we've seen in the last week uh, that sexual slavery still exists in Australia. Uh, Australia has an awful legacy uh, of enslaving indigenous people. Uh, they were forced into slavery in the murderous pearling industries off the coast of Broome and the Torres Strait. Uh, black people died so that white people in Europe could have pearl shell buttons for their clothes. Uh, more than 62,000 South Sea Islanders were kidnapped and forced into slavery in Queensland cane fields often by Christians and supposedly Christian governments. And many more indigenous people were forced into forms of indentured labor, which is just another word for slavery, uh, on cattle properties and uh, as domestic servants. So slavery deserves separate consideration. And while the Apostle Paul does not condemn the institution of slavery, in his letter to the slave owner Philemon, he pretty thoroughly undermines slavery by saying that Philemon, who's a slave owner, a master, should treat his slave, Onesimus, as a brother in Christ, with all the love, care and respect that that involves. But there will be more on this next year. Most of what I have to say today on bringing up children is based on thought, prayer and personal failures and observation over the last 30 years. So it's um, fine if you don't agree. Uh, your experience and observations may be different from mine. Uh, I'm interested in what Paul 
Paul's goal is here. What, what was he seeking for families and, and workplaces? Uh, I do know that Paul talks of slaves and masters, but Paul's teaching here has application for all our workplaces. Doing what we're employed to do with sincerity and wholeheartedly, surely, are what we should do in any form of employment, whether it's paid or unpaid, slave or free. Uh, if we would have a quick stab at what Paul is seeking in these few verses, we could say harmony in the household and harmony in the workplace. But I think it's more than that. Paul adds a new dimension or purpose to both sets of relationships. And in the context of the whole letter, I think that's really important. Because Paul does not want order and harmony in a family for its own sake, for simply pragmatic reasons, but so that the children may be instructed and trained in the Lord. He spells that out. It's very explicit. And slaves were to model their attitude to work and their masters on what their relationship should be to Christ. And masters were to model their care for their slaves on the love and care of God. Children would grow in their faith by how they obeyed their parents and masters and slaves were to work well and honour God if they followed the example of Christ. It's all Christ-centred. In other words, Paul chooses two contexts or relationships to show the difference the gospel of Jesus Christ should make in ordinary lives. Harmony may be Paul's aim, but it is a Christ-shaped and Christ-honouring harmony he has in mind, which means children and parents and slaves and masters must know the gospel because you have to know something to be able to live it. So all the theology of the first three chapters of the book has a very practical purpose to shape how we spend most of our waking days in the home and in the workplace. So how do we share the gospel with our children? I'm glad we have some parents of young children here and I hope that this is helpful for you. But we also have some grandparents and uh, people who will soon be grandparents, I hope. So um, the question is relevant for us all. Um, all of you will know people with young children. And I'm conscious that some of you will have, be thankful for the love and care your parents took over your Christian formation, and others will have had none. Or are Christian despite the teaching and example of their parents. Life is messy and we have to live with the mess. And I know that some of you have great relationships with your parents and some don't know them, or the relationships are very fraught. And of course, for many of us, our parents have died, and we're sort of thinking back. So I'm going to start by saying what I hold to be true, and that is that the primary responsibility for instruction of children in the faith lies with the primary carers, usually the parents. The church could and should help through Sunday school and youth group and other ministries, but Paul never says that it's a primary responsibility of the church. That rests with the primary carer. If we can help more, please let us know. We're really interested in doing that. 
But Paul starts by this section by saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Although the Greek word for children could include older children, adult children, uh, as the context includes training and instruction, Paul probably has young children in mind. Uh, We might wonder what in the Lord means if Paul did not spell it out by quoting the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments about honouring your father and mother, uh, that it may go well with you. In the original it said, in the land the Lord is giving you, but uh, that's Israel, but by the time uh, of Paul, Jewish scholars had expanded this to include wherever the family was located, which was necessary because Paul was writing to families in modern-day Turkey. I don't know why Paul mentions that it is the first commandment with a promise. While that's true, in the rest of Exodus and Deuteronomy, and two books in the early part of the, of the Bible, uh, there are many other commands that were linked with good consequences that would flow. Uh, I've seen a number of suggestions, but none's particularly compelling. Uh, the best guess is that children usually do better if they get on well with their parents. And honouring them through obedience is a a good place to start. But what does it mean to obey and honour one's parents? This time Paul provides an answer. He commands fathers, and we may add mothers, to bring them up in training and instruction in the Lord. So following those ways would be the obedience that Paul has in mind. Not complying blindly with any command given by a parent, but obeying lawful, God-shaped, God-honouring commands or requirements. Uh, And these would include the Old Testament laws, adjusted and supplemented through the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. It would include the Ten Commandments and the teaching of Jesus and the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, the wisdom conveyed in Jesus' parables and the other teachings of Jesus and Paul. At this stage, they did not have copies of the New Testament as we have it. The Gospels and letters were still being written, but the stories of Jesus' life and ministry were circulating widely and having an effect. And Paul had just given two chapters of instructions in how to walk in the ways God wants them to walk. This has included unity, living in the light and avoiding the darkness of sinful living, not being deceitful, speaking truthfully, managing anger, not stealing, avoiding unwholesome talk and the like. And I'm sure that the parents and children among us can recognise that as part of the teaching that we received or that we've given. So how should we train and instruct our children in the Lord? We sort of know what we should be teaching them, but, but how do we do that? Well, I want, to first, I want us first to be kind with each other. Nothing in what I say is meant as criticism of anyone here. There are many ways to guide and direct our children, and what works for one family may not work in another. And we're all different. And through prayer and example, seeds that are sown in children when they are young may shoot to life in later, uh, later on. And a lot of damage can be done by expecting our children to share our faith 
Or if we're always trying to convert them, are you there yet? Are you there yet? Coming into faith is always a gift and work of God through the Holy Spirit. So patience is essential. But we must also be wise and willing co-workers. Likewise, I would like us to be kind towards our parents. It ain't easy being a parent, as I hope unduly critical children find out. But a key part of Jesus' teaching is forgiveness. And when forgiveness is genuinely sought, it should not be withheld. Things that I've seen work are singing very young children to sleep with Christian songs, of which there are many, but my grandson Archie particularly loves the songs of our own Angie, and he was thrilled when he came here and actually met Angie, and he's always wanting to sing her songs. Uh, Bedtime reading can include children Bibles, uh, of which there are many, but uh, this one uh, is really highly recommended. Uh, It came out after um, our daughter was growing up, but it's called um, The the Jesus Storybook, and it's by Sarah Lloyd-Jones, and uh, it it really is a delight. In fact, um, I've known people use it with uh, adults, new Christians, as a way of explaining who Jesus is, and it really is a delightful and wise book. We never sat down over the dinner table and read the Bible, before or after the meal with our daughter. Uh, Nor did we have a formal devotion time, although I know that it works for some. I do not feel guilty that we didn't, because what we did does seem to have helped. We also answered our daughter's question as best we could and did not make up answers if we didn't know. Prayer is important, both when going to sleep and at meals. When our daughter was very young uh, and had nightmares, all she would ask is that we pray Jesus, which was to pray a short prayer and end by saying we pray in Jesus' name. And after that, she would settle. We wouldn't even have to stay with her as we, if we had prayed Jesus. And if we hadn't prayed regularly with her, she wouldn't have known the point of praying Jesus and the comfort and hope that comes from knowing Jesus. So regular prayer really helps. Our our 20-month-old grandson, Archie, calls prayer, Dear God. During the week, he wanted to pray, so he said to his mother, We, dear God? Archie's father is a policeman, and Archie prayed, Dear God, Daddy's safe. Amen. I also think saying grace before meals is a really good thing to do on our own, as a couple, or in our families. It reminds us when the food come, uh, where the food comes from, uh, our daily need for God and just who God is. And living thankfully is a good way to live. We encourage our daughter, or we encouraged our daughter to say grace with us. Uh, when she was comfortable to do so. And so, yubba-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen, uh, has become part of our prayer life. (laughs) Uh, I know the demands of weekend sport and other activities are great, 
Uh, we used to compete with our daughter in a sport called endurance horse riding. Basically riding fit Arab horses 80 kilometres through broken country. Uh, this involved going bush every few weeks and all the races, as all the races were on Sundays in the bush. But we tried to get back, or tried to get to church at least three times a month. Uh, I know that Sunday morning nippers and sport are a real problem, but while I love sport, uh, I don't think that uh, it should take over from church and Sunday school. Uh, and we really do our children a disservice if we're just too busy on Sunday to bring them to church. We also need to listen to our children. Uh, if church is not working for them, we need to choose a different approach. Uh, Carlin and I were pretty well rusted on at Barney's and Barnabas Broadway just down the road, but there came a time when our daughter was not happy with the Sunday school or youth group. So we supported her as she went elsewhere. Eventually she gravitated back to Barney's and learnt some important things by seeing other churches. This listening to our children is important. I remember when Louise was about eight, she asked why we didn't go to CMS summer school. Uh, that's a week-long conference up in Katoomba in early January. It's a time to meet missionaries and to listen to good but always conservative Bible teaching. About 3,000 adults go and they have a great program for 1,000 children. A number of Louise's friends went each year. And frankly, when Louise asked why we didn't go, I shuddered. I thought there was nothing I wanted to do less than spend a week of my precious holidays with a big crowd of conservative Christians up in the mountains. Uh, some of my best friends are conservative Christians, and uh, uh, many of my friends would consider me a very conservative Christian, but that's not the point, you know, all in moderation, but 3,000 in one place for a week? Oh, look, heaven's okay. But I wasn't sure that CMS summer school was going to be that much like heaven. Anyway, we put our daughter's needs above my prejudices and went and we really enjoyed it. We saw the benefit it was for Louise. She was taught well. She made very, so many good friends who are still friends today. She went on to become one of the uh, youth uh, leaders up there, one of the teachers, um, and she made some really good friends. We heard some terrific talks and caught up with old friends and made some new ones. Uh, we, uh, we went each year, and I found it really set me up for the year ahead. So my initial reaction was wrong. I'm really glad that my daughter uh, challenged me in this way. Uh, and God was both gracious and uh, obviously has a good sense of humour, which is another thing that I'm going to be preaching on in the, in the new year, God's sense of humour. Uh, we also supported Louise as she went to other Christian camps during the year uh, where, they made, uh, where she made some really good Christian friends. There are a number that are run and that they were excellent. They are so vital to learning how to fo follow Jesus um, and to help 
particularly uh, if you're at a school where there aren't many other Christians about. These, these, cramp, uh, these camps really work well. Uh, and I have to say she learnt more from them than she did from me, but we helped and encouraged her. I think it really also helps children to see what Jesus means to us if they see us reading the Bible and delighting in what we read. I know daily Bible reading does not work for everyone and it's not a specific command in the Bible, but I know it helped my daughter to see me start each day reading the Bible. Year after year, I would get up, walk the dogs, and then open the Bible. Seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year. And often it was the best part of the day. Louise knew I did it for the good that it did for me, the way that it lifted my spirits and helped me get through the day, not out of any sense of duty or obligation. If I had to be in the office by 5am, she knew I would get up at 4am so I could still start each day with God. I'm usually ungendered in my advice, but I think it's particularly helpful for children to see their fathers regularly reading the Bible and prioritising attendance at Bible studies over work and other commitments. But I say this as encouragement, not in judgement, following Paul. Uh, I'm sure many of you in your own ways have done a much better job than me. But of all these things we can do, the very best thing we can do is to live the gospel ourselves. If our children see us living like their non-Christian friends, they will ask, why bother? They will see our hypocrisy. If we talk about caring for the poor and don't, they will notice. They will notice how we spend our money. If we teach them to not speak badly of others and then hear us saying awful things about other Christians or family members or politicians, they will see through us. If we spend so much time on our work or other interests and not enough time with them, they will question our love for them. And if we don't love them, where is Jesus in our lives? Jesus is generous with us. Uh, we can be generous with our children, provided it's an expression of our love and not a substitute for it. I know adult children of pastors and missionaries who find it hard to forgive their parents for the time and money they devoted to their, uh, their Christian work and for the ne neglect they felt. There is a doctrine called proximate love. It says you have to love the people closest to you first before you start loving other people. Not only love the people close to you, but start with the people close to you and then sort of go out and out. The Good Samaritan loved the beaten traveller in front of him before thinking about who else he could help. And from this, I think we can see why Paul follows his command for parents to bring up children in training and instruction in the Lord with his command to not exasperate our children. For what's more exasperating than hypocrisy? What is more exasperating than to hear our parents teach us one thing and then do the opposite? What will turn a child off faith in Jesus more than an only on Sunday Christian parent? 
and in homes where both parents live together, children need to see the love and respect the parents have for each other. Children are really harmed by their parents turning on each other or turning away from each other or being unfaithful in other ways. Jesus recognises that some marriages will fail and it is better in a failed marriage for it to be brought to a humane end than for children to live in a deeply troubled and unhappy home. But we need to try and keep our marriages together and if a marriage does fail, great care needs to be taken to protect whatever faith a child may have left. And none of this is easy. And it really wouldn't be possible without the help of God. And unless we read, believe and cherish the first three chapters of this wonderful letter, because this advice really flows out of what he said in those first three chapters. So it would be good for you to go back and, and reread them. But I'll leave you with this. Talking of Jesus, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilments, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. It's all a bit overwhelming when you read it like that. But redemption, forgiveness, grace, wisdom, understanding, unity. Not a bad recipe for family life. And all comes from knowing Jesus. Shall we pray? Gracious God, it's hard to hear these things without thinking about our own circumstances, how we were brought up, for those of us with children, how we brought our children up. But we know you love us. You know you care for us. We know you care for us. And we do ask that we reflect upon all the things that you have taught us. So for however long we have left in our lives, we may help children to grow, to know you, to delight in you, to walk with you every day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.